Hi and welcome to the Prismatic Podcast. This is Max Chegwin. Hope you're all doing excellent today. Now I'm still holed up in this crazy town of Patong in Thailand and thinking where to go next. Feeling very free, enjoying life as a digital nomad before I head back to the UK, probably in the next few weeks or whenever I feel like it. But today I want to read you some of my writing on travel. And this is actually part of a book that I've been writing, a much larger book called Life First. And so, firstly, that's the first time I've announced that. So if you want a copy of this book when it comes out, uh, just sign up at prismatic.org and I'll make sure that it's sent to you in PDF form when it's finished. The book, more generally, is really about essentially my principles for building a life on your own terms, both in terms of creating freedom, creating external circumstances that allow you to live freely, but also in navigating the the internal challenges as well. How to be aware, how to appreciate what action we can take to actually cultivate those things. And uh, it's no surprise that I'm a big fan of travel and I think that travel is an incredibly important part of that because it's just such a powerful tool for changing one's awareness. Now, the the title of this section I'm going to read you is actually two sections. The first is called Why Does Travel Matter? And I wrote this actually initially as a response to one of my favorite podcasts, which is the Zero to Travel podcast. So if you've come across this, um, it's a great, great channel. Go check it out. And the host, Jason, always asks this question. He says, why does travel matter? He always asks his guests this question. So without further delay, I'm going to read you the post. Why does travel matter? One of my favourite podcasts is the Zero to Travel podcast. Whenever the host Jason is interviewing a guest, he ends with the question, why does travel matter? There are many quite obvious answers to this question, such as travel helps you learn more about other cultures and try new experiences. But why is that important? This section is my answer to the question. Many people go travelling expecting a positive sensory experience, but that's not guaranteed no matter how much you spend. Some of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life were whilst travelling. Most of the benefits of travel come simply from breaking out of our existing patterns. In our heads, we like to assume that our home country, where work happens, is this boring, repetitive place, and that our holiday destination is this magical paradise where nothing bad ever happens and everyone feels great all the time. Yes, a few luxury comforts can make us feel good, but the feeling of holiday mind has a lot less to do with beaches and pina coladas. These are just symbols of how we might feel when we simply step outside of our daily patterns. Why does travel matter? Travel is virtually unparalleled as a way of forcibly changing our patterns. In our daily operation at home, most of what we do is driven by habits and patterns. We're not really aware, and we can get bought into all kinds of storylines. A lot of this is because we're stuck in a pattern. It's our way of getting things done. But travelling is like popping a pill for awareness. Where's the laundrette? Where can I eat? It forces you into presence. This can be incredibly valuable because it shows you that travel itself is not inherently pleasurable. So it's not necessarily about being hedonistic and seeking something great. It is about stepping out of our shell and seeing what's really going on. So travel is no more of a luxury product than drudgery is a natural human condition. On the contrary, drudgery is a human invention and travel is one way to feel most alive. Many people who go travelling for long stretches report a similar thing, that when they come home, they feel different. 
They bring this natural state of awareness back with them. It's not on the road that we're looking to find something. Travel doesn't give us something so much as it brings something out of us that's already there. And that is this sense of awareness. What better way to acquaint ourselves with the state of holiday mind than actually going on holiday? So nothing beats travel for forcibly changing our awareness. But spend enough time in one place, a month or six, and eventually you might start to notice the peculiar resurgence of patterns you thought you'd left behind. Suddenly it no longer feels new, and our innate need for growth is no longer being satisfied. We start viewing the same objective reality in a far less generous way. We might become more attuned to the pain and poverty that is a daily reality for many of the local people around us. We might become heightened to the flaws of our new friends. Or we might become unforgiving and easily frustrated with the inherent bizarreness and inefficiency that we must always compromise with. Because all places are bizarre and inefficient in their own way, including the ones we come from. It's the price we pay for a structure that to all intents works for most people. Wherever you go, there you are. John Kabat-Zinn. It dawns on us that we had confused our newfound state of awareness for longer-term traits. We had naively expected that it would be necessarily be long-lasting, even eternal, like we had it now. This is really the lesson that hammers it all home, because now it is physically proven with first-hand experience that obstacles were, all along, inside our own minds. And yet, in this difficult lesson, there's also a consolation. Because if the challenges were always inside our own heads, then so was all the joy and all the blissful experiences. It was all in us and our intent to practice awareness and generosity. The places were just places. Everyone around us was having their own experience different from ours. Everything we felt was our creation. And so is the capacity to now continue to cultivate the same awareness and take it with us wherever we go. The double-pronged lessons brought about by travel have first shown us the harmful pattern we were stuck in and another way of being, only to then show us the sheer magnitude of our ability to fall out of that way of being as well. In an instant, we have shown that the way to develop lies in the cultivation of ourselves more than our circumstances, and we ourselves have been forcibly holding back our own happiness. This sharp up-and-down movement brought by such intense states are the fires that ignite all journeys of personal development. The bar has been set... But only now do we truly have the tools to cultivate it, all the while navigating with respect with ourselves as we are, and a respect for our own capacity to fail. We can maintain and experience genuine awareness and generosity as a baseline trait and not something merely superficial and fleeting. The cost of travel. It's common to presume that travel is expensive, and something you will only do after finding success as a reward for your freedom. Before my first long-term trip, I too had bought into the idea that travel should be regarded as a forbidden fruit, that you should have to work for an entire year before you even deserve a two-week holiday. All right for some, isn't it? Someone in some office somewhere. I'm not the only one. Industrious conditioning has taught us to buy travel like any other luxury product. After inordinate periods of drudgery, Many people will spend a month's salary on a two-week holiday at the end of the year, whilst also paying a mortgage on a house that you've left unoccupied. Desperate for some respite from the grindstone, they pay an almighty premium for the simple luxury of not having to do everyday chores, like laundry or washing up. After all, that would look too much like work. We're all free to travel how we want, but it's surely worth questioning whether the limitless and all-inclusive pina coladas and breakfast buffets really justify the uplift, whether it's a justification of our efforts or merely a reward. 
Thankfully, it doesn't have to be like that. The truth is that most of that spend is superfluous, especially if we consider most of the benefits of our travels will come from simply breaking patterns, allowing and forcing ourselves to wake up. Even taking a train ride a few hundred miles in any direction will help to this end. For the full effect, however, I personally like the full-fledged interrupt that comes from completely switching cultures and time zones to get both mental and logistical space between me and my origin. It's no exaggeration to say that travel is the best thing I ever spent my money on, not least because it's hard to imagine what my life would be like now if I hadn't had the experience and lessons of travel and how I could have acquired them any other way. And on those grounds alone, it was the wisest use of my money. But when you consider that I in fact saved a substantial amount of money by travelling, it blows all other contenders out of the water. Travel is possibly the most immediate and powerful way to dramatically cut your costs. I'm writing this from Kuala Lumpur, in fact I'm reading it from, from Thailand, uh, and uh, I'm renting the apartment here for half of what my flat back in Brighton in the UK costs. And meanwhile, other people are able to enjoy the Brighton summer sun whilst also paying my mortgage thanks to Airbnb. Here in Thailand, the overall cost of living is approximately half of the UK with everything taken into account. Not only has the lifestyle given me more freedom, space and variety, allowing me to get more of my best work done, but the financial savings have allowed me to invest a lot more in my future and future projects. For someone based in a major western city, a move to Bangkok, Kuala Lumpur, Prague, Valencia, Rio de Janeiro or Budapest could see your costs halve. It's not like these cities are super cheap by global standards. The same advice can be applied to those who grew up and live in these cities too. A move to Istanbul, Hanoi, Sofia, Manila, Chiang Mai or Guatemala could see your costs reduce substantially yet again. We can completely let go of the old notion that travel is expensive. Wherever you are, if you are fortunate enough to be hearing this, there's probably somewhere cheaper to live that offers most of the same opportunities and creature comforts as home. Given this, the real cost of travel might simply be a few hundred dollars for a ticket and a sleepless night, which, to be honest, sounds a bit like a night out in London for many people who, uh, for whom this might be a worthy life, life choice. Once you land, you begin saving money, and once the cost of the ticket is paid, which typically won't take very long, you're in the green. That is, unless you're still paying a mortgage or rent on a house you've left unoccupied. Well, that used to be the way for many, making it harder to leverage travel as a way to achieve a net saving. Thankfully, services like Airbnb have come to fill this gap and solve this age-old restriction to the free flow of value. Other obstacles may arise from commitments back home, namely a job. Perhaps you work for a corporate slave master who won't let you take more than two weeks away at a time, or five weeks per year. Well, today you have an unprecedented opportunity to fix that for yourself by contributing your value online and building a business from anywhere. Another classic objection to relocating whilst finding new work is that in many countries, whilst costs may halve, earnings may also take a hit. Indeed, in many countries where the same lifestyle costs less, the purchasing power is less by an even greater proportion. In other words, things may cost half, but the average earnings may be less than half. This is not to say your earnings would also reduce by the same proportion. In fact, they probably wouldn't. Most countries value the experience usually borne by expats. If you have a good relationship with your current employer, you should try to negotiate a move while still working for them, either remotely or for the local branch if they have one. This will give you far greater negotiation power in order to at least not take a hit on your income. If anything, it seems more common than not, 
your newfound freedom and happiness will result in you doing an even better job, possibly even worthy of greater pay. Finally, the cost of living in countries around the world correlates with levels of taxation. So irrespective of earnings, you would most likely be buffering the change by reducing your tax burden. Bear in mind that if your costs are halved, then you would only need to work half the amount in order to maintain the same lifestyle. Why would you want to be at work for longer anyway? One way of viewing the conundrum is that working twice as many hours is the price we pay for living in a Western city. And we may get to choose whether that's a price worth paying for us, whilst paying minimal credence merely to what others are doing or what is expected of us. There are all manner of ways in which we can play this new differential offered by travel and technology in the modern world. It is only now that this notion of a full-time job as the smallest unit of accounting is dissipating, that the parameters around this negotiation are somewhat being lifted and a more optimal approach with well-being at its core is given the freedom to come into fruition. If your work commitments are binding you to work in an inefficient manner with barely any time for yourself or adventures in order to pay for an inflated cost of living, then it is worth having a look at how well that scenario really serves your interests and your best self in light of the other opportunities available. This is not to say that the results of such investigation are easy, simple or immediate. They might, however, be worth it. To sacrifice ourselves to the highest good does not mean to suffer silently and willingly when some person or organisation demands more from us consistently than is offered in return. That means we are supporting tyranny and allowing ourselves to be treated as slaves. Jordan Peterson If, in light of the other options available, you deem that in all objectivity your current work situation is not the best situation, then your employer is getting more out of you than you are receiving in return. This is the definition of tyranny. It may be easier in the moment to simply keep putting up with it, but it will only lay the path for more evil in the long run. Many of the objections to this life choice are simply born out of old-style habit rather than any rational reasoning. I get that not everyone is immediately comfortable with the idea of leaving home for extended periods. It may not feel normal, and there will undoubtedly be social pressure from family and friends to stay. But that's precisely why you're paying more. Paying for the luxury of being normal, to not have to think about what's right and works for you. Awareness is cheaper than normalisation. Not to mention that travelling is usually not nearly as lonely or different from home as people expect. You'll find that most of what you enjoy back home can also be done in most major cities around the world, albeit for less money. And you'll find that the people you meet, locals and travellers alike, just as likeable as your friends back home. What's likely to be easier? Finding a way to double your net salary or relocating to an Asian paradise? The last decade has seen millions of baby boomers in the West stress and strain over their pension pots, with many seeing their pension pots cut in half or even more. But what is the real magnitude of such a loss when measured in terms of the impact to our well-being? If total stock market calamity here simply means the difference between retiring in the UK versus retiring in Asia, is that really such a calamity? When a solution is needed, we can find one. The resistance and objections that make long-term travel and life abroad an uncommon choice are not so much born out of genuine objections so much as archaic conditioning and social pressure. All the more reason to do it. Take somewhere beautiful like Bali, Indonesia, or parts of Thailand, and you could be looking at a third or less of the cost of home. Talk about a way to immediately take the pressure off, increase your quality of life, start saving some serious money, or all three. 
This notion that material investment is somehow more important to life than personal investment is exactly what leads so many of us to believe that we can never afford to go vagabonding. The more our life options get paraded around as consumer options, the more we forget there's a difference between the two. Thus, having convinced ourselves that buying things is the only way to play an active role in the world, we fatalistically conclude that we'll never be rich enough to purchase a long-term travel experience. Rolf Potts, Vagabonding. Making the most of travel, the process of landing. As covered above, traveling is the easiest time to be aware, and I think that's why most people love it. That said, I believe there are better and worse ways to travel, particularly if our main reason for doing it is to help us break out of our home-based patterns. On one hand, if we go in with very specific, perhaps even extreme expectations, and look for any route and sign with which to satisfy them, then we might struggle to experience the place as it really is. Whereas, on the other hand, if we don't pay attention, we might find ourselves getting frequently distracted by long-standing storylines from home and mental patter, and in which case we haven't really experienced much change at all as a result of travelling. One extreme can be characterised by a kind of disappointment, almost like you haven't really visited the place in your dreams, and a strange longing feeling that perhaps it's still out there somewhere. The other extreme is characterised by a feeling of mundanity, almost like you never left home. Either can leave our travel experience falling short as well as the impact it may have on us. Rather than leave the quality of our experience completely to chance, there are actually techniques we can apply to help us walk this line between false expectation on one hand and a lack of awareness on the other. Rather than letting go completely, like one might on a five-star all-inclusive holiday, travel, if anything, might be a time to work even harder at getting the most from our experiences and setting the intention to be aware. I call this set of techniques the process of landing. It is a three-step process relating to how we engage with the past, the present, and the future as we travel. Here's how to land and land well. One, reflect. We first need to engage with the past. Before we go anywhere, we've made a plan. And by default, we will have some kind of expectations, no matter how weak or strong. We may have visions of how we expect it to unfold, and usually some kind of emotion attached to it. Often, when we get to our destination, it's not exactly as we expected. So the first thing to do is reflect. Sit back, soak in your surroundings, you have landed. Reflect on how this compares to what you expected. How do you feel now versus how you felt then? Is it similar? If so, great. If not, recognize your longing and see things as they are. This first step is about reconciling the difference between the two so that we can be free of any false expectation and longingness by seeing things for what they really are. One certainty that cannot be denied is that you are here. Two, engage with the now. The second step is about setting the intention to engage with the present moment. If you do any form of mindfulness practice at home, then I would recommend continuing with that when traveling. Many people tend to do less of their practice when they travel, not so much because they don't have the time, but because they don't set a strong enough intention to do it. Travel is a time to want to experience things more fully, not less, and hence I would recommend you continue some kind of practice. Any kind of practice can be incorporated. I recommend setting the intention to meditate daily, practice gratitude, never complain, and to really tune into what you can see, hear, feel and smell. Setting intentions such as these will help us fully experience the world around us as it is. Three, establish the benefits going forward. Whilst we experience everything in the moment, we will continue to learn and benefit from our travel experiences even after we've left a location. 
Whatever lessons and meaning you draw from it become many times richer simply by recording what happens and by later referring to it. Keep a diary. Record what happened, how you felt, and lessons learned. Take photos too. Photos are quicker than writing and will also help you capture what happened and recreate the story in your head. Just try to keep phone time to a minimum. Ultimately, nothing beats written words for most truthfully capturing how you really felt during your travels. So I recommend recording a diary no matter what. That's the end of that section, guys. I hope you found it useful. I actually covered three sections there. So the first was um, why does travel matter? The second was the cost of travel. And the third was the, the process of landing. Um, as Rolf Potts said, life is travel. It's one of my favorite quotes from him. He's a very quotable author. Check out Vagabonding as well. It's a fantastic book. One of the only books that I've actually read more than five times. Uh, the other one being probably Parallel Worlds by Michio Kaku, and probably soon to be 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson, but I digress. Three great books there, check them all out. Yeah, um, I hope you found that useful. I'm, I'm really, I've really got the travel bug right now, but I'm going to use this time and space as well to knuckle down, try and finish this book. I'm currently at about 30,000 words, and I'm probably halfway there. So it's quite a sizable piece of writing, and it covers everything from... Well, firstly, just my, my story, the context, the world as it's configured today, why I think it's an important book. Holiday Mind, what that means, um, why we do it all, ultimately, <laughs> the importance of a growth mindset. And part two is all about freedom. So it's really all about figuring out what it is we want, how we can physically get it. And then I go into quite a lot of detail about online business, my personal experience of building e-commerce businesses, um, investing and trading cryptocurrencies. So I really want to share the how-to, what works for me, and what I observe working for others as well, but with the emphasis on the former, of course, in terms of building our external circumstances so that we can achieve physical freedom. But of course, physical freedom is really only half the coin. In fact, I, I believe that more important is, is internal freedom. If you're lucky enough to have got to a point, say, where you feel that you're you know, you, you, you may be a 7 out of 10 on the freedom scale at least or may, maybe higher. Uh, if, if, you, if you do work a job, then you absolutely love it and you bounce out of bed every morning. If you work for yourself, then you have plenty of money to spend. You know, you've got financial security, you've got freedom of time, location. I mean, there's really nothing better, right? I mean, I, it, it really is the way to be, right? If you're at that point, you may well have noticed that at some point you do come face to face with your own head. And it really is only half the coin. You've got to manage your own mind. You've got to uh, practice awareness, practice compassion, appreciation. Without these things, the, the physical freedom is just absolutely pointless. Full stop. It just You've got to practice those things. But in, in a sense, they, uh, the, the physical circumstances give us the opportunity to, to learn that for ourselves. It's no good just me telling you. And so hence I think that pursuing external freedom is... Um, in practical grounds, but also in terms of what it helps us learn, is a very worthwhile pursuit. So I go into both in this book. It will be available for download, free download from prismatic.org. Uh, certainly for anyone who subscribes to my email list between now and, and when I release it, that's a promise for me. You will get a free PDF download. Hope you found that useful, guys. I hope that inspired you to go do some traveling, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very soon.